Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 179. This one is a bit of a trip back in time for me. It's a trip back to my time in Indonesia. My guest today is going to be talking about an Indonesian dessert called martabak. Now, you have to understand something. Here in the States... There's this idea of, like, American exceptionalism. And yeah, we do a lot of things well. But street food? Mm -mm. The rest of the world has street food right. And the street food that we're talking about today, Martabak, it is royalty. It is the king and queen of desserts. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, my favorite dessert is an ice cream sundae. Martabak steals the ice cream sundae's lunch money, gives it a swirly, meets it in a dark alley and beats it up. Martabak is the king of desserts worldwide. And you have to understand something. It's the whole context of the place. You're zipping through the, the hot Jakarta night on a motorbike. It's late, but you got that late night hunger. You're out late. And you can just pull up and pay one or two dollars US and get the most, the sweetest, most filling, most delicious dessert in the world Martabak. Now, I know I'm partial to the Martabak Talor, and we talk about it that in this episode. It's the savory one. But my guest today, he makes the sweet one. And no one else is making it. That is what makes him so special. Since the first time I touched down in Indonesia and then came back to the States, I've been searching. I've been scouring. I would crawl through the hot desert for this stuff. No one is making it. But my guest today is. His name and his business is Papa Don. The business is Papa Don NYC. He lives in Queens, Elmhurst, of course. It's the neighborhood of Queens with the best food. Queens is the most underrated borough. The borough that doesn't get enough love. It's disrespectful. It has the best food in New York City. And he's got an amazing story, a story I didn't even know about, because of course, the people that are making the best food, they've got incredible lives, they've got stories, you would, it's stuff you would never know about unless you sat down and talked with them, and I got to today. It's always a, a real honor and pleasure when I get to represent Indonesian culture and represent it well, and I think we did that today. So I'm going to ask that you go to the show notes for this episode and you check out Papa Don. And whenever you're in New York City, Queens, Brooklyn, wherever, come check him out. Order a martabak. He's doing stuff that literally no one in the world is doing. A coffee martabak? Are you crazy? Crazy. And he's a really sweet guy and I had a great time talking with him. Super excited that I got to sit down and talk with him. And I got some Martabak. 
and I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, I'm going to start some new videos where I do like some, some, some snack testing from some snacks from around the world. So I'll probably throw those on Instagram and on YouTube. I'm trying to expand, uh, expand the mediums that I'm using here. So check that out. But for now, go to the show notes and check out Papa Don and go to the show notes if you want to help support this podcast. I've got a, a Patreon link there. If not, you know, tell people about it. Never heard of Mark Bach. Sounds cool. Share the episode with some people. Uh, I'll promote this one in Indonesia as well for all my friends over there. Yeah, this was a real cool one for me. So enjoy this conversation with Papa Don. Well, this is a uh, this is really cool, man. This is a treat. Uh, I've spent um, I've spent some time in Indonesia, particularly in Jakarta, but I've been all over the place. And I was always like, I've said this a million times on here. I'm like, man, someone needs to make Martabak in New York, right, <laughs> or or somewhere. Like, I you know, there's a an increase in the amount of Indonesian restaurants, and it's becoming a bit more popular, but you don't see anyone making martabak. And then when I found you, I was like, oh, no, no way. So uh, this is really a, a treat to get to, to chat with you about it. So thank you. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start with, you know, your story. Um, are you originally from New York or were you born in Indonesia? Born and raised in Elmhurst. But I did spend uh, my elementary years back in Indonesia. Really? Yes. My parents are from Manado. It's a mid-sized city, I would say. Where whereabouts in Indonesia is that? Like east-west, I guess. Uh, Sulawesi. Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh. it's all in the tip of the the K-looking island. Ah, cool. Do you still have family there? Yes, actually, most of both of my parents and my two sisters. Uh, they decided, like maybe around ten years ago, they're like, you know what, we're we're done with New York. Uh, we're gonna take it back, take it back home to Indonesia, and that's what they did. Yeah, I get that. I mean, right <laughs> before we were recording here, we were chatting about that, about I mean, how crazy things. I mean, especially now in New York. For sure, for sure. Well, I was actually fortunate enough to go back back in 2017 and spend about a year in Indonesia. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Were you working, just visiting family? So. Back in the end of 2016, they this is gonna get a little crazy now. Uh, they found a tumor on my neck. Oh, whoa! The size of a baseball, but it wasn't bulging out. It was kind of um, growing inwards. Oh my god! And very, very, very not noticeable at all or anything like that. But it looks like I was maybe gaining a little bit of weight. If you know, if see, people seen me, and then um, my partner Patty, she's like, I f- I feel this growth there. Like, maybe you should get it checked out. So I went to the head and next uh, specialist. They checked me out. They're like, oh, we need to take a biopsy, the whole nine. And thankfully, when they checked it out, it was not cancerous or anything like that. But at the same time, being that it's in a vital place for the size it is, yeah, we should get it removed. And I got the surgery. Thankfully, I was under for four hours and a half, maybe five hours. And for two months straight, I couldn't do anything. Like I had to be on uh, on leave, uh, just being at home. And it's hard, you know, when you're used used to like moving around. You're used to being active, having a schedule, and 
all of a sudden you're just staying dormant because you need to recover. Yeah, that's scary too. It, it was, and that was my first surgery, so never encounter anything like that. So after the surgery, you know, when you're dormant for that long period of time, you start thinking, I'm like, is this what I want? Do I want to stay in corporate? Maybe I should go back to Indonesia. And that's when I came up with the decision and I spoke to my partner about it. And she's like, you know what? We should do this just because for your health. And, you know, you don't want it to be in the back of your mind. One day you're like, oh, what what if, if I had moved out of New York? Yeah, and, and you know, it's not like necessarily that you were traveling, but it, leaving New York and going other places, and for me it would be travel, it's always a bit of a reset. <laughs> uh, it kind of like clears out your head, gets the New York like urgency and like the desire to just go, 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 go. It clears that out. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your initial uh, like trade then? You said you were working in corporate. Yes, uh, I was doing accounting operation for like 10, 10 plus year, years. Wow. Uh, before that, I was in the military for six years. Whoa, you've, you've lived nine lives here. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the military, like I felt after September 11, you know, I, I felt the need, you know, to like give back in, in a way or like, you know, to put a, to stand for my country in a way. Mm. And right after high school, I signed up for it. This six years, and while during the six years, I did a one-year tour in Iraq also. Whoa. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, I, where, do, where do you even begin with that? I would imagine that's such an intense experience. It was. I mean, when you're, when you're 18 going to 19, that's definitely one of those things. You're just like, everything is brand new to you. You've never, been to, never seen deserts or anything like that, or a different type of culture in that matter. I mean, I've been to Asia a bunch of times, but... Being to the Middle East, to Iraq, that, that was a shocker to me. Oh my gosh, yeah. Were your parents uh, first generation from your family to live in the States? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm first generation born here. They're first generation living in the States, yes. Ah, okay. And you said Elmhurst. Yes. Which has uh, an Indonesian community, amazing food. Predominantly. I mean, and you know, Elmhurst is known for uh, the diversity of like, you know, one of the most diverse uh, cities in, in Queens. So for sure, like we got to try all types of food over there and we're thank thankfully enough, got to try a bunch of Indonesian food there also. How old were you when you went back to I Sulawesi? was around five, six years old maybe. Okay. Wow, that's such an interesting experience then to, if we're looking at it through the lens of food, like having Indonesian food, I'm assuming in your home and then in the, in the community here, but then going to the source. It's kind of a reverse of what I, you know, when I talk to a lot of people who've come here later in life. Right, right. So, I mean, you know, being that I was very young when I went back to Indonesia, uh, that was the first type, types of food I, I got to try. And yeah. actually the pizzas and the burgers actually came a little bit later in life. Oh, or, okay. At, or at least I don't re remember it being that I was so young at that time, you know? Yeah. Did you learn how to cook at all at an early age? Uh, in Indonesia, no, no, not at all. Oh, okay. But I'm assuming maybe mom was cooking Indonesian food at home. That's that's what it was like. Uh, mama's cooking was always going on 24/7, and she had like a whole crew in the kitchen all the time cooking, that was helping her out. So it, it was it was always nice. Oh, was she a chef? No, yeah. no, not really. But like in uh, in the Indonesian culture, like they they had like uh, maids and things like that. I mean, ah, okay, you know, and, yeah. And this was we're talking about 23rd. 20, 25 years ago. So 
we, def- we definitely had help in the house. Okay, 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 cool. Do you uh, recall maybe the, the first time in your life when you had Martabak? Yes, definitely. I mean, <laughs> it was w- probably one of my earliest memories of dessert uh, when I was little. Martabak is, is a dessert that you usually find on the uh, corners, street corners and like little stands and things like that, but they sell it at nighttime. Yeah. So it was it was like a treat. So uh, growing up, that was one of the main things I always remember eating martaba over there. I guess maybe if I could for folks who only have the the, the context of food in in America, maybe not not necessarily what the actual food is, but m- maybe it's more like if you go to a a carnival and you get like a fried dough type of thing. Um, I'm not saying that the food is exactly the same, but it's not really something that's made at home. Is, is that correct? Right. No, it's definitely not made at home. Too sure. much work. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of work. And actually, uh, the cooking process of martaba is not the same as baking because you're actually using a stove. Ah, uh, yeah. Instead of putting it inside an oven, even though it's a dessert, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I've gotten it, it's like, um, it's almost like a big circular hot grill almost, if that, like a, f- but not, not a grill with like the, the bars, but right, like right. a flat pan surface almost. Right, right, right. All right. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we're talking about two different things. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll stick with what I believe is your specialty, which is like martabak um, manis, I guess you would say. That is correct. Uh, so what goes into that? I think there's a lot of butter. <laughs> so flour, yeast, water, uh, butter, yeah, and definitely a lot of butter. People actually complain if you don't give them uh. enough butter. Uh, eggs, those are just, those just for the batter component. Whoa. And sugar, of course. And there's cheese right or is that am i off on that so for the toppings uh the original martaba manis would have chocolate cheese and peanuts which i actually brought for us to try something also sweet (laughs) yeah we'll do a video of that so check the socials later um wow and i mean i think maybe you answered it but like what's the reason that i haven't seen it much in the states is it too labor intensive like why are people not making it so I, I, went to le- I went to get the recipe in Indonesia. I learned how to cook, uh, bake it, but it is very labor-intensive make- making it. But I don't think that's the reason why people don't make it here. Huh. Uh, personally, I feel like the, the Indonesian community did, needed to kind of change, change the way they market martabak. Just the name alone, it's, uh, you wouldn't know what, what it is by saying martabak. Yeah. So, I kind of market it a little bit different. I call it Indo pancakes, yeah. which is uh, Indonesian pancakes in a way, because that's the closest thing what martaba is to anything over here. That's smart. I feel like uh, people need something they could reference off of to try n- new things. Oh, that's, just, yeah, that's so, a good point. So I try to keep the component uh, and... Just, just keep keeping true to what martaba is in Indonesia, but at the same time, I had to 
reinvent Marta, but to push it to other demographics to give it a chance. Was anyone else making it in the city before you? Some people were making it from homes and things like that. Uh, but in New York City, I, I don't recall anybody selling it in any markets, though. Okay. I mean, there's different... Uh, no, not Martaba in general, no. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about, you know, keeping it true to what uh, Indonesian Americans and Indonesians are used to. I- I've asked other folks this before on the podcast, but do you feel any pressure to make sure that those people who really know what the authentic stuff is, do you feel any pressure to have them like it? Um, everybody's going to have their own opinion on what's uh, authentic and things like that. But the process of making it, even the pants that they use in Indonesia, I brought everything from there. So I, fe- I felt oh, wow. like we kept the authenticity of making martaba like the Indonesian ways. I did, however, though... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> added a, a few different different things like different flavors, different toppings, some things that Indonesia never even heard of being inside of martaba. That is more um, common in in New York. Yeah, so like, what kinds of things are those? So some people tried the red velvet one, so we brought that in. We oh. also made uh, we made the first coffee martaba. Like in the world, right? I've uh, never seen we, that before. We, we researched, we Googled, we researched, we called a few different vendors and nobody ever heard such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so we, we tried it and actually our American demographic like gave it a, more, a quicker chance to try that one than the original one, which is the chocolate and cheese. And there you go with the familiarity type of thing. Yeah. Yes. Going back to the familiarity, familiarity uh, yeah. type of thing. It just, it just worked for them, you know? What about peanut butter? Have you ever thought of we, that? We, 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 have that? we have that coming right now. Oh, we, man. We, we have a few toppings and flavors that we're working on, and we're just waiting to like shoot it out once hopefully COVID-19, the pandemic slows down and we could start doing things. So who taught you how to do this? So when I went back to Indonesia, I, I learned it from three different mas-mas, like, you know, food vendors, mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of asked them, like, what's, what's the best way? And one, once I brought it back to New York... The recipe, uh, my partner, she's she's a baker. Shout out to Patty Lou. She's she can't make it today, yeah. but she's she bakes a lot, so she's the one that helped me perfected it. And in the process of perfecting the whole nine, we we couldn't just um, use the same ingredients in Indonesia, so we we had to like recreate our own recipe. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that because I see. You know, I, I know Nigel. I don't know if you know Nigel from Moonman. Oh, of course. Big fan. Okay. So um, he he does a lot of stuff with like Pondown. Right. How how difficult is it to get the ingredients that you need? So it's, it's a lot more easier now to get the ingredients here. But if we were talking about five, ten years ago, it was totally difficult to get any of the Pondown and the Ubes and things like that. But now being... With the export import and things like that, is a lot easier to get things. Can you explain what ube is? You know, ube is like a potato. It's like it's purple, purple yams kind of in the potato family. Um, this the how do I explain? The, 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 it's like the ground down into a powder or yeah. something, right? Like, is that how they, you get they, it? They, they have the powder version of it. They uh, what people do? They could cook with it also with the ube itself, or some people just use essence and things like that, but. They have liquid version other than the, the powder version as well. 
how how long is the the preparation process like how much how much labor goes into making this so in or so first we have to make the batter um and once we make the batter we have to let it sit it takes like about 15 minutes to to make the batter we have to let it sit for like an hour or two just so like everything could rise and things like that and then and then you could start baking ah mm-hmm. okay so it's like two to three hours just just to, to prep the whole nine yeah, it's uh, it's. Re- I guess when you buy it, in, like in, in Indonesia, it's rather quick, and and even nowadays with like Go Food and stuff like that, you can just get it. You can get it delivered if you right. want. So I mean, like, so the batter, you 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 make that ahead of time. Yeah. But when you're cooking the the whole process, it takes about ten minutes. Ah, uh, okay. So I don't have like a quite a big sweet tooth. Mm. Um, like if someone were to say to me, like, do you want a bag of chips? or a piece of cake, I would gravitate towards the, the bag of chips first. And so when I was in Indonesia, what I really, really loved was martabak telur. Yes. Um, so I'm going to ask you in a minute like what that is so people know. But I've, I've said this over and over again on here. We don't have street food culture like Southeast Asia. And if people are like, well, we've got food trucks or you could get halal trucks. That's not what I mean. Like street food culture is like street upon street of tons of food vendors and, and night markets. And it's a, it's, it's an entire industry. Um, and I've always thought after having Marta Bakhtalor that it's the perfect drinking food. And if somebody <laughs> would, were to set up outside of bars somewhere like we're right here in Williamsburg if you were to set up on um Driggs or whatever outside of the bars and sell that like I feel like it's so perfect well I think the reason that um it's slightly different the street food in in Asia than it is in New York is because we have winter here you know um Mm. over there in Asia they could do this all year round so the the business fact aspect of it is it's lucrative that way. Like if you're, all, you could only be outdoors. Like let's say, um, Smorgasburg. Smorgasburg, yeah. they're they're open for like a few months out of the year, um, maybe like five to six months. But other than that, they they have to shut down because it's winter time. You know. Yeah, I, I that's it seems silly that I overlooked that. That that's a really good point. Uh, can you tell people what martabak talor is, and have you ever tried to make it? So mar- martabak talor is the savory version of martabak. It's it's not actually the same looking. If if you go to the to Indonesia and buy it, it totally looks totally different. Martabak talor is a dough, is a dough wrap with eggs, vegetable, and meat inside of it. Uh, you other cultures like Indian Indian culture they they have this similar food to it. Like rot- roti, Ro- it's, yeah, it is like a roti, or like a Malaysian with, with their type of roti. So it's yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty similar. Oh man, I feel like you know someone can steal this idea. <laughs> like I just feel like that would be if Americans were exposed to this. Like it is such, it's so freaking good. But it's, it's so, so good. It, it'd be such a it would be such a good drinking food. I mean, they both would. It's just I think that the manis is a bit heavier. It is uh, heavier. For sure, and it's, sometimes it gets too sweet, right? <laughs> it can, yeah. It, it, I mean, you need to like. It, it's great at night if you because it, it, it'll put you to sleep. 
Um, yeah, wow. Okay. So when was the first time you thought, hey, I could sell this and turn it into a business? So the first time, I didn't even think about it that way. Uh, wow. So when I went back to Indonesia, um, my partner, Patty, always said, you love Martha but so much, you know, being that you're recovering, things like that. What? Why don't, why don't you learn it? You know, it'll, it'll keep you busy and things like that. So I'm like, okay. So tried it a few times, tried it a few times. I'm like, oh man, like this, this is kind of cool, you know? And then the a light bulb switch out of nowhere. I'm like, how come nobody makes this in New York? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was one of those things. I'm like, uh, since, like, and I told Patty, I'm like, it's weird. Like, we always talk about it, but. Like, yeah, how come nobody ever makes this? So Patty's, Patty, she's like a businessman, woman type of thing. And as soon as I said that to her, she's like, you know what? We're going to start something with it. So I came back to New York with the recipe, with a few times of making it. She, she helped me perfect it. And we're like, you know what? Let's just start giving them out. It was around Christmas time, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We're like, oh, for friends and families, for like... Uh, get-togethers, let's just start bringing these instead of bringing other other type of food in. Yeah. We started bringing it over and people are like, this, this, this is really good. And they're like, we never had such a thing. Chocolate cheese pancake, yeah. thick, thick pancake. What, what is this, you know? This is the first time I've recorded during a th- uh, thunderstorm. So is it, I heard it. <laughs> this is actually kind of a cool backdrop. <laughs> um, you said you brought sort of the cookware from Indonesia, right? So, like, at home, does your kitchen have that big, like, no. circular type Oh, no, of no. A- we, we have a studio that we cook out of. Yeah, we don't, we don't cook it from home anymore. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, was, was the first spot that you started, was it the bazaar in, in Queens? Oh, I mean, uh, we started at home, of course, first before. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody reached out to me around December. And they're like, oh, we have the Indonesian Bazaar. Why don't you join us? And I'm like, oh, I, I go there all the time. And they're like, why don't you open a stall? And I'm like, hmm, let me, let me run it by my partner again. And I told Patty, I'm like, look, somebody just gave us an opportunity to open up a make Martaba live in front of people in the Bazaar. And we both looked at each other. We're like, yeah, let's get this done, you know? Wow. So I was there once. It, it, it wasn't a time that you were there. Mm. So you, when you show up, you don't have it prepackaged. You actually do the whole thing. Like you cook the... Right. So, oh, so for, that, that was the niche we had. So we, we always spoke about it. We're like, do we want to cook at home and bring it there? Mm. Or what should we do? And we, th- we thought about it over and over again. We're like, yeah, that would be the easier way for us. But, you know, it's a treat to, it's to actually watch somebody make it. And we haven't seen nobody done it over here in such a long time. Actually, we never saw anybody make yeah, it yeah. Make it live. So we told them, like, it'll be a treat for Indonesian that miss Indonesia. And it'll be for everybody that hasn't been to Indonesia. It'll be something new for them to, like, kind of see live. So was the response from people like, oh, my God, are you made? It, it was crazy. Wow. Literally, the first bazaar we were in. It was only three of us. We we didn't we didn't expect too much out of it. It was January. We're thinking, okay, it's really cold. Uh, let's just bring enough to cook for like fifty orders or something like that. We got there in the morning. It was it started slow. Usually people get their food first, then they eat their desserts. By the time it hit twelve o'clock, twelve o'clock at noon, we had like an hour and a half line wait. 
Whoa. For, for the food. And we only had like two pans at that time. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, this, it's, it's, that's inspiring for anyone who's like, you I mean, you talk about the corporate world, for anyone who feels dissatisfied with what they're doing. Like, if you find a particular niche, like you, you found something that there would be a demand for, but there was no current market for. Uh, that's really incredible. Yeah, and the the funny thing is when when I first came back, even though we talk talk about making it into a business, we 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 didn't really automatically think, oh, let's let's do it. We were thinking at least we know how to do it for ourselves, for our families, because this is such a treat, you know. Like, and it's in every corner of Indonesian streets at yeah. night time. Like, what? Why can't why can't we do it here? Or how come it hasn't been done here? Have you uh, you talked about like learning it and starting it there? Have you made it for Indonesians in Indonesia and like had a response from them? Oh, they, they love it. Ah, uh, cool. They, they love it. They they said it, you know, and maybe I could be biased with this one, but like they said, it's the closest thing they have they had from over there. So oh that's, that's man, really nice of them. Yeah, that's an amazing response. You know, this is obviously a really tough time to be in food industries, and uh, someone throughout this process, I've really looked up to and have been following their process through uh, social media is there's a restaurant in Manhattan called 886 and they make Taiwanese food. And first of all, their their food is is fire, so good. Um, But they were sort of at the forefront of, hmm, we could have folks like purchase our stuff. Wow. That's a loud one. Yeah, we're in the middle of a big storm here. Um, We could actually, hey, Les, we might need to shut that window, if you don't mind. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep this in here, though, because it's kind of cool. Yeah, we probably should. It's so dark right now. Um, but anyway, they were having folks purchase meals, and they were bringing it to, um, like, first responder type of people. They were bringing it to uh, hospitals and people that were at the forefront of this whole COVID crisis. I've seen that you've also been involved in that in, in Elmhurst. Can you talk about that process and what you were doing? Sure, of course. I mean, so the one thing we realized early on is um, we're community-based and we're grateful that with a short period of time, the community helped us to, to help us get where we want to be right now. And w- unfortunately, in early March, I believe, the pandemic hit New York really hard. Yeah. When When that happened, you know, we, th- we shut down for two weeks straight just to stay safe, uh, quarantine ourselves. But within that two weeks, we thought about it. We're like, all these doctors and nurses, like, they're still risking their lives while all of us, you know, we have to stay in. But at the same time, what are we doing? What can we do to help, help them out or to help our community out? So that's when we started kind of campaigning Papa Don Cares uh, and giving back, donating our martabas, and working with organization, and just giving back to different hospitals and things like that. Yeah, and if people aren't from New York and don't understand sort of like the where things are located and the, the demographics of New York, there's a hospital over in Elmhurst, and there are a lot of people who whose families at some point have immigrated from Southeast Asia who work in the healthcare field as well. Right, right, right. That's that's correct. And being that Elmhurst is the epicenter of yeah. uh, New York City, 
you know, you know, I was born in Elmer's Hospital. I, 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 oh, I, wow. had, I, I had to do something. And Pat, Patty was telling me, like, you know, we have all these ingredients and stuff like that, all these stuff that we bought to get ready for the, all the bazaars coming up. But since it's canceled, why don't we just start baking and start donating it back? So that's what we did. Wow. So can people... I don't know what that is. The world sounds like it's exploding right now. Uh, can people still participate in that? Can they purchase something through you and have it shipped to the hospitals? Uh, so what we did was we set up a GoFundMe account. Oh, instead okay. Of purchasing from us, and and every time they they donated, what we do we would match also. So we actually donated a, a little more than two thousand martaba through. Whoa through the pandemic and we donated to like about 12 hospitals, uh, two EMS stations and one firehouse. That's incredible. You know, because the the bazaar and pretty much everything right now is shut down, do you do any sort of like uh, online ordering and delivery service type of thing? Yes, uh, we do. We do online ordering, we do delivery services, but uh, only for Queens area now. Yeah. Being that the traffic is back to normal, uh, we we're, we're keep staying local. Before, we were actually even delivering all the way to Manhattan. Oh, Brooklyn, wow. Yeah, all the boroughs. Has this become a, you know, a sustainable business at this point? Do you see yourself doing this you know, for the foreseeable future? I do see myself uh, doing this in the foreseeable p- future, but at the same time, I'm also very careful and keeping my eyes and ears open to all the changes and... Yeah. It, in order for us to make it, we have to kind of evolve with, with everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, how often are you? Um, I mean, within this industry, like, how often are you experimenting with new flavors? Like, you you mentioned how you offer. You were the first to offer like the coffee flavor. Like, how 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 creative are you in this process? So my partner and I, like, being that we're stuck indoors all the time through the quarantine. <laughs> it, it gave yeah. us a lot of time to really experiment and try different flavors and and just get ready for for everything once everything is back to normal. Mm. Yeah, so will you it I guess this is really the question. Are you do you think expansion at all? Like is this something that eventually you could have your own brick and mortar place? Is this something where you can maybe eventually get to a place where you're mass producing like prepackaged martabak? Do you think about those things? Of course. I mean, that's that's the end goal, right? I mean, uh, I would, as of right now, uh, we're definitely thinking of expanding. We've been trying to do pop ups from different states. Uh, we we work out of uh, different restaurants in New Hampshire, New Jersey. Just to fill out the oh. the different demographic, different markets, and things like that. And plus, New New York, the last few months has been so so much slower than other places. Oh wow, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So I know you were in New Hampshire last weekend. Uh, two weekends ago. Uh, two yeah, my my fault. Um, is that particular market? Is there an Indonesian American community there, or is this just for everybody? So we went uh to a. Markets where there's a lot of Indonesian American communities, mm. but uh, at this, uh, it was it was easier to kind of get into contact with Indonesian restaurants in the neighborhoods, and we kind of just you know brainstorm with them like, oh, can can we work together and collaborate? Uh, can we work off of your uh, the kitchen and things like that? 
And we've been, um, we're grateful that a lot of these restaurant owners gave us the opportunity to like work off, work with them. Yeah, that's really great. I'm just like, I'm, I'm having all these like thoughts swimming through my head while we talk about this stuff. And I just like keep coming back to sort of, I don't even, it's not even considered street food in Indonesia, but I was in Jakarta for about three months. And like one of my favorite things would be like in the morning, you'd wake up and you walk to, uh, they're kind of like carts, sort of. Yeah, they're like wooden carts almost with a glass front so you could see inside. And there's all sorts of stuff sold that way. But when I'd wake up, I, I one of my favorite things to get in the morning was bubur rayam, which is... It, it isn't like, it, it isn't like quite congee, yeah, but I think oh, the, the a little thicker. Thicker, a little thicker, but yeah. uh, I think for over here they would understand a little bit better. Okay, yeah, like then chicken congee, yeah, those are the best, oh man, in the morning time. <laughs> God, and like you've got to understand, like for with the American dollar, probably translating to like a dollar. <laughs> and you, it'll keep you full for a long time. Did, did you have to walk to this cart or they pass by by where you were living? Because there's, there's a few different carts, right? Oh, yeah, there's many. So I, I stayed, what I was doing was getting like half a month to a month Airbnbs in different okay. parts of Jakarta so I could nice. see the different uh, neighborhoods. Um, and, oh, God, what is the community? Galang, maybe, is it called? I forget uh, what it's called. But, yeah, I would get up in the morning and walk. I was always in the same spot. Um, and what I always tried to do is because they're, they're really trying to cut down on plastic there is just bring a Tupperware with you. Right. They'll fill that up for you. And, God, it's, it's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, first thing in the morning, that's definitely really good right there. H- have you thought about connecting at all with people who maybe make, you know, like lunch and dinner type of things and, and collaborating to where like you would offer the dessert portion of the. <laughs> oh, I have. I mean, and, oh, cool. and, and, um, I met a lot of the vendors through the bazaars actually, cause there's two, two different bazaars that I'm participating in right now, the Indonesian bazaars in Queens. So there's the Eagle bazaar and the ice bazaar, ICE bazaar. Oh, uh, that, uh, once in St. James, right in front of Walgreens and Elmhurst. Yeah, that's the one I want to. Yeah, right. So that's that's the ice bazaar. Ooh, Whoa, <laughs> it's crazy. And and what what we do is uh, we connect with the other vendors that make food, and we will collaborate where I sell my desserts and they sell their regular food. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. Wow. Um, I'm gonna. I'm maybe not gonna gonna try the the martabak on here. Um, I'll do a I'll do a separate video, so I'm I'm excited to have that and try that. But is do you have um, for any of those those sort of collaborations you talked about? Do you have uh, like favorites in New York City? Do you have recommendations for if you're doing the dessert side of things, but if people want to go try? Um, you know, something that's as close to the source traditional as possible. Do you have a recommendation for where they should go? Oh, for sure. Um, definitely for a restaurant in Elmer's, there's Awang's Kitchen. Mm. He, almost any types of food he has there and it's pretty close as, or as close as they could be from Indonesia. And the homemade one, 
I would, I would always get from Mamika NYC. She she makes really good bakso and things like that. Uh, rendang. Yeah. And nasi kuning. You know. Uh, yeah. She's 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 really good. Do you know Dewi at Warung Salasa? Oh yeah, here? for sure. Oh, okay, cool. That's in uh, Indo Indo Java. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh man, her stuff's the best. Awesome, awesome. So, what is like? Um, what's the future for you for now? Just is it keep experimenting, play it by ear? So right right now we're we have talks with a few different vendors and things like that. Just like you said, just yeah. co- collaborating and see what we could do. But also we're still experimenting while waiting out uh, with the pandemic right now. We it's it's really one of those things that we. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge what we, we should be planning for. Yeah. Because we're not sure if there's going to be a, a, second, a second wave and things like that. We're not, sh- we're not sure what's going to happen from the government end as far as like when things open. So there's a lot of factors that's kind of holding us, holding us back from uh, our next, next moves. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I'll tell you, like, this is, uh, this is super exciting. And I think that this is... The most important time that I've ever experienced to really support the things that you want to see when you're around. Um, you know, I was earlier today, I recorded with someone who played in bands that I listened to when I was in my teen years. And I, I, I came out of a community of like, uh, like punk rock music and, and underground musicians. And we sort of had our own world. And that was like, you'd show up to a show and people were selling zines or they had record, they had what people called distros where they were distributing records from other bands that weren't even the bands that were playing there. And it, we very much understood that we needed to support our greater community so that our greater community would still be there in the future. And to me, like right now, the restaurant industry is like a very punk rock thing it's very it's very DIY it's like it's not uh, do it yourself it's not getting a lot of it's not getting a ton of help from the government it's people figuring out how to be creative and how to be original and do things that are new and exciting and so I see what you're doing as a part of that and I would just urge people uh, whether it's you and I hope it's you or other places that they're that they're fond of right now to to support them as much as you possibly can, so that we still have this stuff around in the future. Otherwise, we're all going to be eating a shitty Applebee's after this coronavirus <laughs> is over, and that would be tragic. No, for sure. I mean, well, one one thing that uh, I'm always telling myself throughout this this pandemic is, you know, the term like a diamond. Is, is made with the, the hardest compression, right? Like, you have to put a lot of pressure. So I feel the same way with us. Uh, you know, even though these are hard times, it's only going to make us greater uh, and stronger once we survive all of this. And right now we're in the surviving mode, so it's a little bit harder to, to see the light. But I'm almost 100% sure once we're on the other side, we're going to tell ourselves, like, it made us that much stronger what we went through uh, this pandemic um, even though it's still hard right now for a lot of people and for everybody, for the most part, it, it also have brought people together. You know, it, innovative is happening left and right. Yeah. We're just not seeing it right now, but it's happening. And with that mentality, I, uh, I just keep telling myself and 
that's how we're coming up with new flavors and, and st still staying positive, even though things aren't looking too good. Yeah, and you know, especially, well, here in New York, we're, we're still largely shut in. I have a feeling another, uh, what do they say? It wasn't lockdown, but I have a feeling that we're going to get bumped back down to a lower phase at some point. But like now is really the time I would urge people to try something new. And I, I, probably if you're listening to, to this podcast, like at this point, you're exhausted hearing me say that. And you're probably somebody that's already, uh, you know, pretty into trying things that are new and experiencing other cultures and traveling and stuff like that. But if you're new to it and you're just tuning in for the first time, like support people, try something new, whether it's Indonesian food or Ethiopian food or Nigerian food or whatever the hell it is. Uh, if you have someone in your community, uh, support them. Like we, we're all better for it. And life looks pretty damn boring when all your options are, are strip malls full of Chipotle and McDonald's and stuff like that. So. No, for sure. Yeah. Where can we send people to either order or learn more about you? Let's, let's plug some socials and websites. Oh, sure, and like uh, definitely. Uh, you could go to www.papadonnyc.com or my Instagram, papadonnyc. Uh, and we have Facebook also, uh, papadonnyc martaba. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So people do that. Check it out. Um, you're an easy guy to contact. You you message me back. So oh yeah, for sure. When people are in New York, it, reach out. Um, once the queen the the Indonesian market's back, or the Queen's night night market, which probably won't be back till next year. Once those things are back, hit those up. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Don, this is a real pleasure to, to, oh, to talk to you. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. That is a wrap, folks. It was episode number 179 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. 179. That is crazy. I really enjoyed this episode. Thank you to Papa Don for coming on. I've got some great food here. He dropped off a shirt. It's a killer shirt, so hopefully they start selling those. Uh, you can support businesses by buying merch right now in addition to buying food, so please do that. Just like we said, keep these places around for when all this crazy stuff ends. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy I want around selling amazing stuff, unique stuff, stuff you can't get anywhere else, close to the source. Ah, man, it excites me. Thank you, Voyagers. Thank you to all of you for tuning in, as always, from, from here to Nigeria to Indonesia. Uh, I love that I get to do this, so thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a couple new ones coming out at the end of this week too, so stay tuned. All right, folks, thanks one final time, and as always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon. <laughs>